welcome once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. We have a few podcasts this week. In fact, I think I'm going to be uploading something uh, every day. So this is Tuesday evening. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and possibly Saturday, I'll have something uploaded for you this week. There's a lot to uh, be paying attention to. And I, you know, it's funny, I keep trying to gather information for another episode on the voter fraud and kind of what to do about it and uh, proving it. And it's so overwhelming. And the news cycle changes so much every day that by the time I get all the information together, something new happens that I need to add to it. And I never feel quite like I'm ready to present what I want to present. So um, we'll see what happens with that. Maybe by the end of the week or uh, next week, I'll have something for you. But by then, I'm sure it's going to be a completely different world. Um, I, I will say that this, if you haven't called your state legislatures, if you're concerned about this, which you, you need to be, you really need to be, um, I, I could probably at the very least give you a few websites uh, to go to here. Um, yeah, I didn't think, actually, I can't. I don't have my notes up. I didn't think about this before I started recording. Um, there's, a, there's a few websites that are pretty good. Uh, I'm going to look it up as I talk here. Uh, that that These aren't all of them, but a few that will help you kind of prove it. I think one's called Where's the Proof, if I'm not mistaken. Where's the, where's the Proof? Let's see if that comes up. Uh, I'm sure Google's not going to help me with that. No, they're not going to help me at all. <laughs> Uh, if, if there's anything that 2020 has taught us, it's that like the entire establishment, uh, I, I mean, big tech, big media, I mean, we have nothing. We have, as traditional conservatives and as conservative Christians, theologically and politically, we, we really don't have many places to turn. Uh, and I guess that's a disturbing thought in some ways, but we do always have, and this is important to realize and recognize and remember, we have God. We have Christ. We have the most important things are secure. Um, but there are some things that we would like for our children, grandchildren, etc., cetera, uh, that are not secure. And, um, and the blood of patriots has been spilled in the past defending some of these civil liberties. And, it, you know, not to get on a huge tangent here, I haven't even announced what I'm talking about yet during the show. It's going to be Southern Baptist stuff. But before we get to that, I, I did see some folks uh, tweeting online, a few people this morning, about how uh, it's ba- it's not Christian, I guess, to defend your rights. And I know I, I there's two episodes that I just want to plug for you because someone was asking me, where do I go to kind of combat this? I put out a tweet and I said, look, this is the Mosaic Law is based on the idea. I mean, it's foundational to the Mosaic Law that we have rights. These are civil liberties that are tied to responsibilities. They're not these uh, these rights that, um, uh, you know, to go and sin. They're rights to do what God has uh, enabled and commanded us to do. And those are the kinds of things that are worth fighting for. And it's not just for, for us. It's not just for abstract moral principles. It's, uh, it's actually for something far greater. It's for the character and nature of God, defending that in the public realm. That's what morality is based on. And for loving our neighbor. When you defend your rights, you're not just defending your own, you're defending the rights of other people. And of course, um, we have Matt Truella on recently talking about the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. You're going to want to go check that out if you haven't seen that. Type in Matt Truella, Doctrine of the Lesser, or just Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate uh, on the Conversations That Matter YouTube page. It'll come up. And then the other one is called The Founding Fathers on Rights and Responsibilities. And not many people watch this one, but I go through this in more detail. So uh, if you hear that kind of language, we just need to lay down our right. I'm hearing more and more of it. Um, You need to be able to know how to push back on that. 
uh, as if it's you know selfish somehow to defend your right to. I, I think this pertains to the masks and the mandates and the shutdowns especially. But your your right to worship, your right to um, have a business and provide for your family. Uh, or pretty soon, it's probably going to be your right to defend that family. There, there's a lot of things that are worth uh, worth supporting, defending. Uh, even if it means, uh, I mean, in the past, it's come to physically defending some of these things. Um, election integrity is even one of those. I mean, this is one of the last things that, in a sense, we had a voice that we could give to try to stem the tide. And if that is, as it appears to be, um, it's not even an if, uh, since that is compromised, uh, it doesn't leave people who have a correct moral thinking in a right place in a good place. Uh, it, it's, um, it's concerning. And so I would uh, encourage you, uh, if you have friends, family that are talking about this being a hoax, oh, it's a conspiracy theory, there's no such thing as voter fraud. Uh, a few websites that you can take them to um, that uh, I'm, I'm pulling up right now here. Let's see here. Uh, that's not it. Let's see. Hmm. Yes. Everylegalvote.com and hereistheevidence.com are two. I know there's more. I've, I've written down a, a number of other ones, but uh, hereistheevidence.com. So people ask you, where's the evidence? You can go to hereistheevidence.com. Pretty self-explanatory. And everylegalvote.com. And this fight uh, will most likely continue after this week. Um, I, I don't think it's over, and uh, I can't get into more. I can't do that episode yet because I'm still collecting some things on it. But, um, but I just wanted to 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 let you know I'm aware. For those of you who are watching my co covering this information, this uh, uh, situation, I am aware of it, and uh, I'm I'm hoping to to do something soon on that and the masks and the shutdowns. But here's the thing that keeps happening, guys. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention especially, but the evangelical church in general, just keeps pushing hard and going crazy. And I, I do feel compelled to follow up on some of these things. Not everything, but there are some things I, I do feel compelled to follow up on. So this is what you can expect from me going forward. I'm going to try to do something within the next week or two on the lockdowns and the masks and all of that. You know, before Christmas, before you uh, hopefully are able to travel to see your family and those kinds of things where you'll be discussing this. And then um, the other thing is the election. But I'm going to keep up with some of this social justice stuff and evangelicalism. I have a number of Gospel Coalition articles written down that I, I want to review for you. Those will hopefully be some shorter episodes. Uh, there's just a, there's a lot. Um, I'm, I'm Another announcement, I'm sending out hundreds of packages. Uh, I've already sent out hundreds, but I'm sending out more. And I'm just one guy, so I'm, I'm doing my best to pack everything up every day, send more out. Uh, some of you have asked, where's where's my uh, Social Justice Goes to Church book? Uh, I'm packing it up. It'll be out there. Uh, within the next week, I should be able to get them all out. And and so that's also happening tomorrow. If you guys could pray uh, for me, I am going to be meeting with someone, uh, a lawyer, to talk about some of the terms of service for the Discerning Christians website, this uh, network I've talked about. And we want to get that up and running before Christmas. And so um, we're, we're coming to some of the final stages, which is exciting. And so just a lot going on, a lot of good things, uh, just, just, and, and more that I can't even mention right now. 
but we will be going over some social justice stuff. And today uh, we are going to go over some, we're going to follow up on the last episode about the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, so let me, uh, let, let me start off here. Uh, oh, one more announcement. This is, uh, th- this just keeps going, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> if I can here, here we go. Uh, so book recommendations. Some, sometimes I'll just announce what I'm reading. Two book recommendations I'll probably talk about more as we proceed in the coming weeks. And they're good Christmas ideas, honestly. Uh, Last Stands by Michael Walsh. If you have, um, I think any guy, honestly, just about any guy, would appreciate this book, especially if they're attracted to military type stuff. Um, it's a good book. I can I can sense that there's kind of a, a Roman Catholic bias. Um, also, uh, there's kind of he definitely takes more of the uh, Union side and the uh, Civil War, and some of his biases come out and stuff. But it, it's it's everyone has them, and it's good. I mean, he's uh, for the most part a really good author. Uh, talks about some really great. Uh, uh, battles from history and what we can learn. And I've, I've actually been writing down some of the quotes because he gets culture. He understands kind of why people fight and what it is that about culture that makes them fight. It's, it's hearth and home. It's the, your buddies. It's, it's a way of life. It's not, um, it, it's people really don't go to war because of equality <laughs> or even necessarily liberty. It's what that liberty means. They go to war because of people that they know in their circle uh, defending and generally, I mean, this is politically incorrect here, but I mean, he really makes the case that it's it's war is something men do. Men go to war to defend women and children. You can't even say that. Isn't it crazy that you can barely say that anymore without getting an odd stare? But it's the truth. And uh, anyway, good good book, entertaining book. And then um, I'm not done with that one. I did finish though this one, The Price of Panic by uh, Douglas Axe, and uh, I think it's two or three other authors. Uh, they they kind of switch back and forth in the book, but it's. It's uh, this is not an entertaining read as much, although for the subject matter, they do pretty well. But they uh, catalog kind of what's happened since the covid shutdowns initially, the first round and and just debunk the whole thing. Just they they just show how foolish this was, how, um, you know, who's benefiting from it. Uh, I mean, it's the price of panic. It's uh, it's actually costing lives in ways that we haven't recognized. It's costing businesses. We're starting to recognize that. Uh, so uh, another good resource out there, uh, I would just recommend for your friends who think that masking up and lockdowns are good. Uh, there's no evidence for that. In fact, there's actually evidence that what we're doing is counterproductive. So uh, another recommendation for you. Now, uh, with all that being said, let's get to some of this SBC stuff, if we can, uh, because I, I think uh, this is, it's important enough for me to talk about it one, one more time here, um, if my slideshow will, will work on me here. Let's see here. There we go. All right. Um, you can tell I have a new monitor, uh, and I, I kind of set it up in the back. I'm not used to that. I feel like there's something behind me. I don't know if I'll keep this. You can write in the comments if you if you like the monitor here or not. Someone suggested I should do this. I don't I don't know. Maybe because it's the flickering screen and things changing and it's boring if it's just me talking. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, but I did put it there. Um, but uh, it actually it, it it makes more sense for me when I'm doing the slideshow thing to just show you the slideshow from the computer itself. Which you know if I blow it up, then you can actually see it. So we're gonna go with that for now. Uh, this is an ongoing controversy, guys, in the SBC, and this is kind of, you know, if you haven't seen my last video on this, you're going to want to probably go and check that out. Um, 
But sort of trying to bring you up to speed here, there was a statement made by the three or four, no, maybe it's five. I forget now. I think it's five. Uh, I think it was five Southern Baptist uh, seminary heads, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was five of them. And they, they basically the long and short of it is we're not teaching critical race theory. And we believe critical race theory intersectionality. I think they even mentioned liberation theology in the statement. These are not what our seminaries are about. We dis, we're, we, they don't even acknowledge that they've ever taught any of these things, which they have. Um, but now they're, uh, they're, it's sort of a denial, but it's more of a defense. It's, it's a defense against some things that just happened recently, uh, notably the Enemies Within the Church uh, interview with Tom Rush, and that, that went out about two weeks ago, and then uh, two weeks ago the uh, Naples, First Baptist Church of Naples documentary. And both of these kind of were, impl- they, they were kind of at, at the end of the Enemies Within the Church one, and during the whole Tom Rush uh, interview, uh, there was a sense that Albert Moeller is responsible for a lot of this. And by this, I mean critical race theory and some of the progressive push in the Southern Baptist Convention. And it was right after that, I don't think it's a coincidence, that this statement came out from these uh, SBC entities. So, so since then, you know, a lot of people were very skeptical and, you know, this isn't going to change anything. You guys, you know, are compromised. You're not admitting anything, which I would agree with. I mean, that's not the appropriate way. The appropriate way is to admit, yeah, you know, we've taught some bad things. We, we're going to do some clean house. We're going to retract. We're going to apologize. Uh, but but let's, you know, some people said, let's give this a benefit of the doubt. Let's, you know, give them some time. Maybe they're 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 not going to promote this stuff anymore. Uh, and and it's it's all over. That's it. And it's not. <laughs> it's like literally lasted a week. Like the ink's not even dry. And we're already getting instances of these seminaries promoting some of these things. And, you know, I gave um, sort of a, a montage, a, a mini montage from the past, just showing you, okay, this is just, this is just Matt Hall, the provost of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Dr. Albert Moroller, the president. And here's what they have uh, promoted over the last few years, up until very recently. Uh, and I'll, I'll just roll that clip for you, because it's only two minutes. Here it goes. One of the reasons why I love Dr. Hall is because, you know, he's well-versed in critical race theory and history. But he's using terms like whiteness. Some people hear that and it creates a little angst. What do you mean when you say whiteness, right? Everything that you thought was true about your tradition, your denomination, uh, your own family, uh, there's a whole, I'm gonna pull the veil back and what looked like this beautiful narrative of faithfulness and orthodoxy and truth and righteousness and justice, I'm going to peel that back and I'm going to show you the rotting corpse of white supremacy that's underneath that surface. At some point, we got to get to the spot where we are able to look in the mirror and be like, yeah, I'm probably a racist. I'm telling you, like, I'm a racist because I have a heartbeat. And until I receive my glorified, completely sanctified uh, body, soul and mind, uh, I'm going to be doing battle with sin. It's going to take everything we've got in the gospel and in the scriptures uh, to escape uh, the the trap of history, but we're not. We can't just draw a line. We're going to have to deal it. We're going to have to confront it. We're going to have to recognize the word stain is exactly the right word. It's a stain that we're going to carry as a denomination forever till Jesus comes. I can't associate with any assertion 
that we do not have a massive problem in the society and in the church with claims of racial superiority and with historic patterns of claims of white racial superiority. I, I love the people, respect the people who brought the resolution. I, uh, I would not have brought the resolution if it were, uh, if it were me. And, and, uh, and, and there's just some language in it that some of it's so good, but some of it is, is, is so easily uh, taken, um, well, it's, it's just confusing. Uh, so uh, I just, I'll, I'll try to say that. I, but behind it, behind the resolution, I'm convinced was an effort to try to speak to the real problem of the sin of racism uh, in the United States and in every structure in the United States. So many of you heard that in the last podcast. Well, here's another montage I want to show you before we get into the recent stuff. And this is just this is one professor. This is Jarvis Williams, who's a professor of New Testament uh, interpretation, mind you, at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And here are just some of the things he's written over the last few years, and the, up, up through, I believe, 2018. Now, these are, you're not going to hear his voice. Um, I made a little uh, one and a half minute video using, um, it was a computerized voice, but because these are all things he wrote. These aren't things he said verbally. These are things he wrote. Now, I've, there's things he said that we've uh, put out there before, but there there seems to be this idea, and you know th this may be even one representation of it. Uh, th this idea that unless you say you're for critical race theory or you support it, you're by default you must not be right. Just, you you have to say I am for critical race theory, and and that's why this montage is important that I'm about to show you. But let me just just tie these th two things together. What's happening now? And then the, this montage from the uh, quotes from Dr. Jarvis Williams. This is a pastor, Andrew uh, Hebert. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, he says, once again, the conservative Baptist network is suggesting something that is not true. Critical race theory and liberation theology are not being advocated for in our seminaries. This is disinformation, fake news. All right. So conservative Baptist network, after that statement uh, from the seminary head saying we don't teach Critical Race Theory, Conservative Baptist Network said, we applaud the recent statement by, oh, six. Okay, it's all this, It's all six. I, I think I forget about Golden Gate for some reason. So it's all six seminary uh, presidents. That af affirmation of critical race theory, intersectionality, and any version of critical theory is incompatible with the Baptist faith message. Then the CBN statement goes on to say, furthermore, we look forward expectantly to the president's cooperation with us in rescinding Resolution 9 and to taking concrete actions towards the elimination of these unbiblical doctrines and others like them, such as black liberation theology from our seminaries. So here's what's going on. You have conservative Baptist network saying, okay, there is this resolution, Resolution 9, which said you could use critical race theory as an analytical tool and be a Christian and have it subservient to the word of God. They say, that's not, can't do that. And... We, we want to push this back. Well, since the seminary presidents are saying they're against critical race theory, well, maybe they'll help us this time. They didn't stand against it in 2019. Maybe they'll stand against it in 2021 when we meet again. That's all they're saying. And, and here's one of the reactions. It was a popular reaction. You know, oh, this is disinformation. It's fake news. I mean, they're accusing these people. What's the fake news? What's the disinformation in that? That they agree with the six seminary presidents? Um, no, it's, it's, it's because they're insinuating that black liberation theology has been taught because professors like Walter Strickland have said they've been teaching it. 
and, and so this isn't like uh, this shouldn't be news to anyone. But the the apologists for the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, they are like ostriches with their heads in the sand, often just completely either unaware or just. Um, I mean, this guy's not unaware. He had lots of people putting quotes under this uh, message, this, this tweet, correcting him. But he he keeps going on and just repeating the lie often enough so people I guess believe it. And here's Keith Whitfield responding, saying, "Thank you, Andrew." Now he's he was on the resolutions committee that gave us Resolution Nine. He's the provost of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We talked about him last time. So he's he's basically saying, "Hey, thank you for going after the conservative Baptist network and calling them fake news and disinformation, saying that that's what they're promoting." Thank you for that. Um, this is this is war, guys. This is war. <laughs> this is a division. There is no doubt about it. And and so um, so I'm going to show you this. This montage. This is Jarvis Williams, because right. Remember, no. This is this is the the statement. This is the insinuation. That's and it's not just this pastor. There's a number of them. Critical race theory isn't being taught at any Southern Baptist school. It's just it's not happening. Nothing to see. No, no matter how many videos you play. So what if we had a professor specifically saying that he agreed with critical race theory in his capacity as a professor, in his studies, in his writing? What if we had that? You know, and we don't have just one professor, but I, I'm, I'm eliminating it. All you need is one, right? What if you had one professor by name saying, yep, I, I, I agree with some critical race theory. That's what I'm teaching. Uh, or that's what I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I have some common cause with of some kind. Would that change anyone's mind? Now, I don't think it would for the SBC apologists because they're the ones that are spreading the disinformation and fake news. I mean, it's projection. Uh, this is what I, I told you before. This is what progressives like to engage in projection. Well, here's, here's Dr. Jarvis Williams. And here's what he said at just a few instances. Critical race theorists have shown in a compelling way that the colorblind theory of race is a myth. Critical race theory and social identity theory are helpful tools for understanding identity formation in the new Testament. Great resources available. Which book do you wish every evangelical Christian would read and why? Richard Delgado's Critical Race Theory, An Introduction. A necessary book because evangelicals still tend to be decades behind on critical race discussions. In the rest of this chapter, I offer Southern Baptists, and anyone else who has ears to hear, 15 concluding exhortations related to removing the stain of racism from the SBC. 1. Southern Baptists should be quick to listen and slow to speak on race when they do not understand the issues. White supremacy and racism are complicated issues. These issues relate to concepts such as racialization, critical race theory, mass incarceration, economic inequality, educational inequality, and other forms of systemic injustice. Speaking ignorantly about these issues is inappropriate. Southern Baptists, especially white Southern Baptists with privilege and without personal experience of the challenges associated with being a black or brown person in the U.S., should spend more time listening to their black and brown brothers and sisters instead of trying to speak to, at, about, or for them. And by the way, both of those montages are available on many of the social media platforms that uh, I have, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, the links, at least, for them have been posted on places like Parler and MeWe. Uh, and I just got an, I, I should probably mention, uh, what's this? We Speak, 
WeSpeak.com is another one I have now. I can't keep track of all my social media accounts, but uh, I try to post there occasionally. Um, you can go and find those individuals. If you want to just show someone, I you know I don't want to slug through this whole video. Let me just show them this montage. You can go there and you can find them. In fact, uh, I will try to remember to put the link in the info section for the video uh, if you uh, care to see that. But uh, we can, I think, uh, assert, a, assert that Andrew Hebert and Keith Whitfield are incorrect here. By They're, they're actually the ones promoting disinformation. Now, here's, here's another um, instance of controversy. And you might think, what does this have to do with the critical race theory, new left ideas, cultural Marxist stuff? Uh, Southern Seminary, just recently, a couple days ago, news. Seminary adds three professors to faculty. The newest faculty members include, and they have their names. Uh, wait a minute. I thought COVID made it financially uh, impossible to keep Russell Fuller and Orwick and uh, the two other professors that ended up being, I think one is back. But anyway, they had to fire some professors. And it happened to be some professors that weren't exactly politically with the seminary. Uh, they were stood against some of the postmodernism and new left stuff. And so COVID comes along and we, we need to make some financial cuts. Well, now we're hiring three professors to the faculty. What's that about? Was this, and that was one of the things that was said at the time is, well, uh, is this, you know, illegitimate firing? Is it really in finance, bad financial state? And Tom Rush, a trustee just recently, two weeks ago said we weren't in a bad financial state. He says these are political firings. And now circumstantial evidence says, yeah, they probably were. Because they weren't financial, at least. Uh, I mean, if you can hire three professors immediately like that. Uh, <laughs> and we're going into a second lockdown period. Um, here, here's just a few slides from that Jarvis Williams uh, uh, montage that I showed you. Um and I'm not going to go through these step-by-step. Uh, step. I will mention, though, that the main quote at the end there, the long quote, uh, is from a book called Removing the Stain of Racism from the Southern Baptist Convention, which Al Mohler and Danny Aiken contributed to. Uh, you know, this is, this is a book that um, they knew about, and they endorsed on some level. And that, that's where I took it. The critical race theory is mentioned twice in that book. Uh, the other sources are from Twitter, from the Gospel Coalition blog. Um, and so this, this is someone who's taught there since 2013. I mean, the, all these statements were made while he was a professor there. Now, what else has happened since uh, this statement from the Southern Baptist entity heads saying that they, or seminary entity heads, saying that they're against critical race theory? Well, first of all, Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary uh, put out a congratulations to the winners of our 2020 For the Church Book Awards. And guess what's on it? Reading While Black. <laughs> it's one of the titles of one of the books. And, uh, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> here's some, some quotes for you. Uh, this is from Tom Buck put this out. He was the one that kind of first exposed this, a pastor down in Texas. Uh, he said, here's what this book teaches. Paul is woke, John is woke, Jesus is woke. And, uh, and some other bad stuff. So we'll read a few of these. When Paul calls the present evil age, we can under uh, interpret it by saying that in Galatians, Paul only has in mind spiritual enslavement. It is a political assessment as well as a theological one. Hmm, that's interesting. 
Well, how do we know that? Uh, I guess because you're reading with a different hermeneutic because of your socioeconomic uh, racial category. The question that ought to keep Christians up at night is not the political activism of black Christians. The question should be how 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 came to dominate the conversation about the Christian's responsibility to the state. How do we manage to ignore the clearly political implications of Paul's casual remarks about the evil age in Galatians and links between evil powers and politicians? It may have been because it was in the best interest of those in power to silence black voices. I mean, this is woke. This is totally woke. You know, you're just, there. there's no, this isn't grammatical, historical, hermeneutics. This is, well, we have an opinion about this because of our political persuasion, because of the socioeconomic uh, racial group that we're part of. Uh, John is woke. In Revelation, John composed a letter read aloud to the churches that condemns the economic policies inscribed in law, slavery. He says that these immoral activities, along with persecution of Christians, will bring about God's eschatological judgment. Yeah, no, no, he doesn't, doesn't talk about slavery being the reason for judgment. You'd have to read that into it. Uh, Jesus is woke. Here we go. Woke beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourning is in intuition that things are not right, that more is possible. To think that more is possible is an act of political resistance. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, right? Oh, goodness. I'm not even, even going to continue this. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, how does the church make peace? Housing discrimination has to be named. Unequal sentences. And I, so, okay, a bunch of disparities, sexism, yep. Uh, well, let's see, going down. Uh, so he said, this is what Tom Buck's assessment. He says, Esau, uh, the author of this book, uh, affirms some central gospel truths, but his emphasis is to read an African hermeneutic, quote, unquote, African hermeneutic, into the scripture. Chapter's conclusion. At the heart of this chapter has been the desire to think through the church's interaction with the powers and rulers of our day. We look at the testimony of Jesus. His criticism spoke to Herod's character and his politics. Paul's statement about the present evil age in Galatians also contains rather unsubtle uh, condemnation of the current political order. In the same way, John had strong words to say about Rome. Uh, this, so they're, they're making it all political. They're, they're, this is the, the kind of like the reading the liberation theology into passages that cannot carry it. So that's one instance of just, I mean, this is the same seminary that's pre, their president just, what, a week ago, a week and a half ago, said we are against critical race theory. And now they're promoting well, basically woke hermeneutics, standpoint epistemology, uh, at the very least, and reading while black. It's just, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, this is one of the foundational pillars of critical race theory. Uh, then you have Danny Aiken president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He says, I fully support... Okay, actually, I should read the statement first. He retweets this pastor who's, who's definitely woke, Dwight McKissick in Texas. Dwight says, I have long taught that racism and, ongoing, uh, and, and its ongoing repercussions are real and should be addressed intentionally, appropriately, and based on the authority of God's inerrant word. He's quoting Dr. Tony Evans. He says, are the SBC seminary presidents and the conservative Baptist network in fundamental disagreement with this statement? Nanny Aiken says, I fully support this statement, my brother. Sinful humans will inevitably build systems and structures that benefit them. This is Bible and basic Orthodox Reformed evangelical theology. It is good Baptist theology, too. And so what's the issue with this? Well, I mean, this is the person that just said, ah, we're against critical race theory. We don't teach that at our institution. It's wrong. It's antithetical to the Baptist faith message. And then you have this guy, Dwight McKissick, coming along and saying, wait a minute, you know, racism has ongoing repercussions. Uh, 
in in the world. And then Danny Aiken says, "Yep." Uh, and you know what those ongoing repercussions are? You know, he he insinuates, he makes the connection here that it's uh, sinful systems and structures that benefit them. So sinful humans have created racist, sinful systems and structures, somehow racist, that benefit them. Okay, how, where, what, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a law that needs, I mean, I, I always go through this. Is there a law? What's the law? I'll stand against it with you. Uh, is it a particular person and they're not following the law and they're making their own law? You know, No, it's just, it's always a very vague statement and, and insinuates that there's uh, some kind of racism, some systemic racism going on all over the place. And just because it's benefiting people who happen to build it. I mean, is, is that capitalism? Is that the free market? Is that I mean, people creating a system that will benefit them if they work hard? You know, this is, this, this is so, has so many holes in it. It's a sieve. And the, I mean, critical race theory sneaks right into that and lives perfectly content at a place like Southeastern. This, you have to be clear about these things, especially if you acknowledge that this is a problem and then you make statements like this. He also says, it is wise, loving, and biblical to read and study the Bible in community. We learn from one another, share insights, and gain a fuller understanding of the Texas family. There is no place for exegetical lone rangers. We need one another. Okay, there's a truth to this, uh, that God made the church. Uh, we, we also have the testimony of history. But um, the controversy is actually not over whether or not you should get together with your pastor or your small group to discuss the Bible, and whether or not uh, more minds might uh, be better utilized to uh, come up with an interpret—well, figure, not, not even come up with, that's the wrong word, but discover the correct interpretation according to a grammatical historical hermeneutic, uh, which means understanding the context of the time, understanding the grammar. Uh, that's, that's not the, con everyone agrees with that. The controversy is over whether or not certain social groups have sp special access into truths that other groups don't have access into by nature of their social location. And that changes your whole hermeneutic around because then you actually need other, you're relying on other people, uh, to give you an interpretation because without it, you are insufficient. You're, you, you don't have the tools. And, Here's the thing. I mean, a lot of even the authors of Scripture, uh, they did not have access to the cultures that exist today, and they they were actually in sometimes fairly limited circumstances in Jewish culture. Uh, they and they stayed there, um, and you know it, this is you don't find this emphasis in Scripture. Now we do have spiritual gifts that we need to use. Uh, we do, you know, Bereans when we, when the pastor says something and there's people in the congregation that can hear it and say, wait, that's hold on, that's wrong. You have that kind of thing. Uh, but it, you, you're not going to gain a fuller understanding somehow just by nature of having other diverse people present. That doesn't guarantee a, and, and in fact, it could actually be a more erroneous interpretation. And this goes right into the standpoint of epistemology. Again, Someone could be perfectly content who believes in standpoint epistemology uh, and reads that statement by Danny Aiken. They can say, oh, yeah, that's just what I'm doing. I mean, th th these, these are not encouraging things. If you think that now the seminary heads have dealt with this issue and, you know, they're going to be strong against it, well, no, because he just gave them two doors to walk through right into the seminary. And I'm not surprised. But uh, And here's, here's the third thing. Um, this is the IMB. Uh, International Mission Board, and I want to show you, this is a few books that they recommended. Someone sent this to me. They're doing on a short-term missions trip, 
And recently, the IMB was not part of this statement, but kind of around the same time, there was a controversy over whether the IMB was going to be doing uh, some kind of diversity training. Uh, it was implicit bias training. And they said they weren't going to do it because they were called out for it, or at least that was the opportunity for them to announce. And they didn't even announce it publicly. It was just Paul Chitwood told Tom Askell, apparently on the phone, according to Tom Askell, that they're not going to do it. And Tom said he was satisfied with that. Well, we're, we're now, what, two weeks later, and uh, this is what they're recommending for short-term missionaries to help their spiritual development before they go on a short-term mission trip, at least some. And there's a number of books here, and I, I've looked up a bunch of them, and some of them were concerned. The one that stood out to me, though, was Gospel by D.A. Horton. Because if you've listened to this program long enough, you know, you might remember an interview I did with a guy named Seth Richardson, who's an evangelist in Raleigh. And I'm going to show you a clip of that in a moment. But let, let me go over a few of the other ones that I wasn't as aware of. Um, so again, you know, they're, Paul Chitwood apparently is against implicit bias training, against critical race theory. Um, I would assume liberation theology. And uh, here are some of the, here's just some excerpts from some of the books uh, that he's that the organization is recommending. Or I should say, I think requiring. I think you have to pick one of these books. Among the Wolves by Dottie Lewis. Now, Dottie Lewis is super woke. Go to <laughs> woke preacher clips on Twitter and type in Dottie Lewis. Uh, he's the head of Send Send Network. Totally woke guy. Um, but that's you know that's this book is mild compared to other things he said. But here's just just a clip uh, from that book. Um, so he, he talks about statements from Donald Sterling, the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, that are racist. Reminds us that racism and prejudice are still part of our culture and even in our hearts. The in our hearts, apparently. So someone else saying something racist reminds us of the racism in our hearts. The United States is still very fragile when dealing with some of the realities that come with urbanization. Okay, uh, if this type of belief could be relegated to a small minority of people who are still stuck in the racism of the 50s and 60s, then the need for concern could be would be lessened. Let me stop there. Do you really think in the United States it's so fragile right now in urban areas? Because uh, we have such a problem with races from the 50s and 60s. That's the problem in the United States. White supremacists, uh, you know, the old textbook kind, you know, Klansmen, those kinds. Of, that's the problem in our urban areas. Um, or is it actually maybe fatherlessness and a crime rate that has skyrocketed because of that? Uh, maybe exacerbated by social programs that started during the Great Society, especially. Uh, could it be that actually organizations like Black Lives Matter and Antifa are helping to burn things down, destroy businesses, make it a business unfriendly environment? Uh, or, or is it you know race Klansmen coming in? I mean, this is this is what we're told to believe from progressives in the media. And it, it's kind of insulting to hear this from, you know, this is what you pay with your, if you're a Southern Baptist, you pay the, uh, the IMB to help train missionaries. And this is the kind of stuff that they're putting out there. Well, it goes on, it gets worse. If this type of belief could be relegated to a small minority of people who are still stuck in the racism of the 50s and 60s, then the need for concern would be lessened. However, we are reminded by people who claim, let's make America great again. Yep, Donald Trump, <laughs> that these issues did not stay in the last century. He made a hook. He made a connection. He said, let's make America great again. That's the same as the, those still stuck in the racism of the 50s and 60s. Hmm. 
That statement alone is a slap in the face to those who were under oppression during the great times to which they were referring. Although it may be painful to admit, if we are willing to be honest with ourselves and our society, it's not difficult to see that no matter... Okay, so here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. This this is the the the, con- the controversy that shouldn't be one about let making America great again. And, you know, basically, was America ever really a great place? And, and I've pointed this out before, but progressives want to uh, constantly compare uh, America to perfection in their minds what they think utopia is and if america falls short you can't ever say america was great we're just always constantly striving and we're never getting there (laughs) kind of like a a white person trying not to be racist right you're always on the hamster wheel but you never actually end when someone says that when donald trump says that uh because that's who he's talking about let's be honest uh He's not talking about, well, you know what What made America great? What's fundamental to the greatness of America? Klansmen in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, that, that's what's really great about America. No, no. He's not talking about that, clearly, obviously. Uh, he, he thinks, like a lot of Americans think, that that kind of thing wasn't actually fundamental to what America is, the principles uh, that are commonly sh- shared in this culture that actually contributed to its economic greatness, military strength, uh, even, you know, perhaps spiritual strength as well. Um, And, and, you know, you could could actually point out a lot of things other than racism that were bad, even technological things. You could say, well, was it really so great when you just died of cancer and they didn't have chemo? You know, really was America great? I mean, pick anything you want. Conservatives don't compare to utopia. They compare to the alternative. Because we're practical and we think evil exists and you can never get rid of it. And you do the best you can, but utopia comes in heaven. That comes after after death, if you're in Christ. Uh, we don't believe in utopia here on earth. And, and that's the issue there. And if you do believe in that, then that's actually contrary to what Christianity teaches. But here we have Dottie Lewis. Uh, taking a shot at Let's Make America Great Again as uh, tied to the 50s and 60s racism. And this is somehow a challenge for urbanization. <laughs> it's, and it may, it's, it's, it's what's making the United States very fragile. Yeah. Um, so missionaries being, being trained with this stuff. Uh, I, need, I need to speed it up a little bit here, but you, there's, there's a number of other quotations from other books as well. Uh, we have uh, Unleashed. Eric Mason, uh, just read this. Individual sin isn't the only form of suffering we endure. However, no man is an island to himself. Corporate sin creates systemic problems in our society. Sin works like a virus in our communities. Uh, He goes on. He says this is why Paul is aggressive towards false teachers, because I guess that's systemic sin. Um, Policies can be made to preserve and promote sin. So Jim Crow, Hitler, uh, millions of people suffer, not just individually, but as an entire nation of people. Everything from racism to socioeconomic oppression can be can become systems of sin that cause us suffering. Now, here's here's the thing that I uh, have an issue with when people bring up the systemic sin, uh, or at least one of the issues I have. It, individual sin is in there. You don't, you know, systems can't be guilty for something. You can't have impersonal things that are guilty. That's that's the that's the Rousseauian kind of you know, man is corrupted by his environment, and that's been the basis for progressive ideology, Marxist ideology since then. But the reality is, there's only really one kind of sin, and that's individual sin in a human heart. 
Now, can individual human hearts create systems that perpetuate a, an evil that was in their heart? Yeah, yeah, they can. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, people do that all the time. Uh, they they'll go and they'll but that but that's this the system is not the sinful thing you don't don't ascribe the sin to the system and don't create a false dichotomy like well it's either individual sin or systemic sin well actually uh there's only there's individual sin and then there's people who pass laws and uh they you know try to exert their sinful influence in areas uh in which it'll hurt more people than just one person uh, but I mean, is it systemic if a father abuses, uh, let's say, his wife, and the children suffer for it, and it creates uh, ripple effects in because of the way they grew up, they have the effects of sin, and they, well, is that systemic? You know, we, where, how do you in, get this systemic sin? Well, everyone's suffering from the sin of someone else, so it, it, it's kind of it's useless to even talk about systemic sin. It's it's and it, it, it stems from a Marxist concept. Of they Marxists don't usually use sin; they use things like oppression. But um, I mean, you can get my book, "Social Justice Goes to Church," and I show you. They usually use the term "institutional" back in the seventies, sixties, but that's what they talked about: institutional sin. And we need to redeem the institutions by political maneuvering, etc. Uh, it, it's you don't find this language in scripture. All right, gospel by D. A. Horton. Let me. This is the one that I stood out to me. And I'm going to play for you a little clip from Seth Richardson after this, someone who tried to implement or was around people who tried to implement these principles. But here are the principles. This is what, again, North or, uh, International Mission Board, short-term missionaries being told, hey, this is a good book to read. The first question will be answered later in this book. Before we answer the second question, I must qualify the term non-offensive, contrary to what you may be thinking. Non-offensive does not pertain to the offense of the cross. Okay, we're all good there. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead. The offense is the fear of suburban saints saying something that culturally offends minorities in the areas of race, social status, or stereotype that will give minorities a reason to be turned off from receiving the gospel. This fear holds many saints hostage as they remain stagnant and distant from presenting the gospel to minorities. They believe their only option to seeing the Great Commission fulfilled in the inner city is the ministry of intercessory prayer, asking God to send someone other than them to reach urban minorities. Now that's kind of a stereotype. That's a blanket statement. Really? I mean, that's maybe maybe people who he says, what do he say at the beginning here? Does he suburban saints? Yeah, suburban. Maybe they don't live in those areas. That could be part of it, too. Now, we need to reach every we need to reach the cities. I'm not saying we don't. But uh, but he's he's definitely impugning the motives here um, that it's this fear that and that's the reason. And we're pawning it off to someone else because we're just afraid. So we want someone else to go reach them. And um yeah, you know, I I don't know. I resent that a little. I I know people who live in the suburbs who uh, certainly don't think that way, and they're trying to be involved in the area that they're at. And every person has a different area. I mean, there's a there's a better way to to phrase this, but the point is that's the problem this book is trying to address. This idea that suburban saints are inadequate somehow because of their fear. Uh, so he's going to train them. D. A. Horton's going to show them. You know, here's here's what you got to do. Here's one of the action steps. Study the Thebonical glossary. He made a glossary, and he calls this thing Thebonics. He says, the final element of encouragement uh, that I can afford you is condensed glossary of terms, Thebonics. Uh, eubonics derives from ebony and phonics, uh, phonics, street slang, and theology derives from the Greek word theos, which means God, and ology, uh, Greek logia, logia, 
meaning no uh, to study or to speak of. Thebonics is the merging of theological truth rendered in scripture and broken down into bite-sized pieces to be exposited in the urban context in its own unique language of eubonics. So he's, what he's saying is that Thebonics is his own thing he made up trying to contextualize uh, theology for urban areas. Like, like they're so different. If you live in the urban area, I guess you're so different. It's, it's almost like you, you have a different form of English that just needs to, pe- people have to, I mean, no wonder people are afraid. If they think, I would be more, this makes you more intimidated, right? Like, if you already were afraid to go witness in the urban areas, now you need to know Thebonics. Um, they, they do speak English, I, you know. This is, I mean, can you imagine, uh, just for a minute here, can you imagine a, a book like Urban People? don't want to go out to the the uh, suburban areas or or rural areas you know they don't want to go out to rural areas because you know they're just afraid that they don't understand the culture and it's dangerous and they just rather have someone else go out there and we're gonna you know invent a whole dictionary for them i mean how insulting is that like you're such a barrier like there's (laughs) you guys can't communicate in english like you have nothing in common um this is kind of insulting uh, so he goes on, you know, it, how good this Thebonics thing is. And, and here's where it leads. Um, we've all heard the rhyme. If you do the crime, you do the time. Here, here's an example of Thebonics. But in the hood, we know this is not always true. The code of the streets calls for a no snitching rule, meaning if you get pinched or witness a crime, when po- police question you, you offer no answers that will lead to the arrest of the criminal if the person pinches takes the rap for the crime and the crime the real criminal remains free street credibility is earned for the people who took the rap and did the time for the crime they pay the price for someone else's crime okay now hold your (laughs) hold your horses here he's about to relate this to substitutionary atonement so peeps in the hood are used to the idea of someone stepping in and taking the punishment for something they didn't do. They can relate this concept to the price for sin. So this is, oh man. He says, we have to step up our game when it comes to understanding what God requires. This is the book. This is this tool that we're supposed to have. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say to this. Um, this is a legitimate book that the International Mission Board somehow wants short-term missionaries. Even people going to overseas places that they're not even going to encounter this stuff, they're, they're recommending, yeah, go go read this book. Um, that's substitutionary atonement. When, when a, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh so much, but do you think it might be possible that you could go into an urban area or a rural area and explain to them what substitutionary atonement is without having to appeal to thug life in the area. <laughs> Do you think that's possible? Or the, what, what, the criminal activity in the area? Um, I mean, oftentimes people do that because there's another fear that they have, and that's the fear that the people they're going to have to come back and live with are going to hold it against them. Uh, so it'd be the motives, it, it's not a parallel. Uh, it, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think hypothetically. Do, I don't know if I have a problem if someone wanted to start off that way, but it's just a weird place. It's unnecessary. Why do it? Just explain to them what Jesus did. Explain to them the debt they owe. 
rather than adding this extra step that you got to somehow now be relatable to them and their their culture, uh, which that which says I guess that you got to even if you didn't do the crime, then you're gonna go pay the penalty. Uh, which honestly, I don't I don't know if that's such a healthy thing when you know there's criminals who deserve it and and you're gonna go and and let them off the hook somehow. Um, that's not the same as the substitutionary atonement, uh, where God, the God of the universe, had a just standard that was violated, and then Jesus willingly, not under compulsion because he was afraid of sinners, but willingly uh, went to the cross so that he could receive the glory at the right hand of the Father. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, and w- there's an expectation that repentance happens. Uh, it's not just, hey, thanks for getting us off. No, there's there's actually a repentance, a coming to Christ. Um, it, it's a lot different. <laughs> and and the idea that you, I mean, I, I've done urban men- ministry. I've gone to cities. In, I mean, I, I would think New York City would qualify for that. And I've talked to people, and they're human, and they understand English, and you can relate to them, and you don't have to be fake, right? All right. So I am be promoting this book. Now, uh, if you remember, those who have been watching for a long time, this was put into an action. We know of someone who witnessed this being put into action. And here was the result. Um, there was a booklet that we were provided called Gospel. And uh, it was written by D.A. Horton. And we were encouraged to, to talk using what they would call thebonics. What's thebonics? So it would be um, theology through ebonics, basically. So... When I would talk to a young man, I should have read this book. I should be understanding of uh, lingo that you would find within the rap community or what they would call the hip-hop community. And then um, I would have to express the gospel using those terms. So if it would say, hey, um, you know, we'd like to get together maybe on, on Wednesday afternoons with you and sit down and, and look at the Word of God. Well, what I would have to say to this guy, I mean, I wouldn't have to say it, but what was encouraged would be to say something like, um, hey, why don't we sit down and chop it up next Wednesday evening? Or you would say, hey, we're going to rip the roof off this thing on Sunday if you want to come to church. Things, things of that nature. And it's just, um, just, just an odd way, I think, to present things. Uh, when you would use thebonics, what was the reaction that you got from those you were trying to engage? Well, I refused to use thebonics. Um, but one of, the, one of the elders, the one that I spoke of, he did try it, and the reaction was actually hostile. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah, he was warned by a guy uh, one afternoon and said, don't, don't talk to me like that. So it was seen as disingenuous yes. then? Interesting. So the weird thing about this is it actually, and, and this is where it dovetails with the critical race stuff, it's this idea that there's such a difference between people in urban and suburban areas because of all sorts of these external factors that uh, you, you can, it, it's so hard to communicate. So it's actually the uh, adding a barrier there. Uh, you have to, it's, it's actually it almost seems kind of racist in the sense that you, people from suburban areas is a manual for people from those areas to then kind of like almost talk down, use less defined, less de, uh, defining English um, and, and, and try to relate to uh, th- this people in these urban areas, like they're Martians almost, like they're just, they can't understand basic English when you use it. And it's, it's kind of insulting. Um, but that's why it didn't work. And that's why 
for Seth Richardson at least, and and the example that he uh, saw it uh, being used in, and and that's why I have a concern for the IMB. If these are the kinds of books they're promoting, yet they say that you know they're not going to do the implicit bias thing, they're not going to do the critical race thing. Um, if Southern Baptist seminaries are saying they're they're against that stuff, but then you have Danny Aiken opening the door wide open for people who believe those things, who uh, you have uh, Mid America Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Midwestern, I should say. Did I say Mid-America? Midwestern, not Mid-America. Mid-America, as far as I know, is, is better. Uh, Midwestern, though, you, you have, um, you know, do, doing this kind of thing and promoting books that uh, are, are basically standpoint epistemology, uh, changing the hermeneutic at which we come at things. I mean, you, you might say, well, it's not fully orbed, you know, critical race theory. It's not every element. Well, which elements are the, the bad ones then? Which elements are the ones that uh, are good and, and are acceptable to have? Uh, because um, I, I don't see one element from from that theory of all of them, of all the, the ones that we keep going over, the nine elements. I don't see any of them that are good. I mean, it's, it's Marxism repackaged in a postmodern framework uh, for sociologists. And there is no sociology of truth. There's reality, the way that God created it through his natural revelation, his special revelation. That's what he's given to us. And, and we, can, we can communicate with people. Uh, we don't have to go through all these hurdles. We don't have to get the perspective of uh, other uh, minority people. Or if you're minority, you don't need the perspective of majority people to somehow give you some window into truth. Actually, there's tools, and we have language, and there's ways of getting at that. Uh, it, and someone from those areas can teach you about how to get at that. But, I mean, I've often used the... Um, analogy of, you know, brain surgeon, you know, does, does it make a difference to you whether or not someone who, who's a brain surgeon studied in, let's say, China? Uh, to, uh, you probably don't care. Well, maybe you do if it's China. I probably should have picked a different country. I don't know. Uh, they studied in India or something. Um, what you want to make sure is that that brain surgeon is competent. You wouldn't have a, a textbook on brain surgery written by a committee that was chosen for the sake of their diversity. You would have it written by a committee that was chosen for their excellence in doing brain surgery and applying those universal uh, scientific principles to this discipline. And hermeneutics is similar to that. Uh, evangelism, it, it, you know, it, you can certainly learn things. Pers there's personality things. There's all sorts of ways of doing things. You can learn those things from others. There, there's no doubt about that. <clears throat> but it doesn't mean they have some, like they're, part of a, a different uh, paradigm of some kind, and they have a different truth than you have. And it's just so, there's such a distance between you two uh, that, that you, you can, you know, hardly communicate with one another. But you need that, <laughs> that knowledge, or else you won't have a fully developed understanding of something. Uh, no, that, that's, and that's not been something that uh, has been true in Western civilization. That's not something that has been thought until really very recently, uh, this idea that, uh, I mean, the only way, you know, tie that you can make is it's similar to forms of Gnosticism, really, uh, that, you know, there are certain classes or groups of people that have access to reality that others do not, or a kind of reality that others do not. Uh, that's fundamentally opposed to Christianity as well. Um, God, God reveals himself, uh, through both of na natural and special revelation, he's given us his word, 
And we just have to be faithful. That's the main thing, honestly, is being faithful to communicate that word. Uh, and uh, so these are some of the concerns that are out there right now. I don't think this, this, this is my analysis. This isn't going away. You make a statement, try to draw a line. I mean, Al Mohler said, you can't just draw a line when it comes to racism, right? It's a stain that's going to be with you till heaven. But they think somehow that they can just draw a line when it comes to critical race theory. We, we're done with that. We, we, we never actually did anything with that in the first place. It was never taught here. Um, no, <laughs> you're not going to be able to do it because it's already upon you. You've let the cat out of the bag. It's there. Uh, and the assumptions, the damaging assumptions, the postmodern assumptions, the standpoint of epistemology, uh, the Marxist assumptions, the systemic racism everywhere that needs to be addressed through eliminating inequities. These things are going to be uh, mainstream very soon if this is not killed. And it may already be too late in some ways, but we still, uh, if you, especially if you're in the SBC, you still need to make the effort as best as you can. And I don't know what to tell you anymore. I don't know what institution you in the SBC, you can feel confident giving to and having a return on that investment for the kingdom of God. I don't know. Uh, and and what, when I mean by a return, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying there's not some good missionaries and stuff out there. I mean, like n knowing that none of this is being given to any of this progressive stuff that's undermining the very gospel that and, and the truth, the things that gospel rests on uh, that are that it's supposed to be uh, promoting. I don't know of any um, uh, entity that has not been touched by this stuff. And uh, so, I mean, you know, hopefully if you're in that denomination, you're thinking through these things. I don't, uh, I don't do this because I really just love talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, but I know it helps a lot of people. And I, I do get those messages. And so uh, I wanted to give you one last one, exposing some of this stuff. And then, hey, it's up to you guys. It's up to you. Um, you know, talk to your pastor if you're in an SBC church about this kind of stuff. Express your concern. Uh, go to the info section. I'll put those two montages uh, down there and say, hey, pastor, do you agree with this? Uh, you know, we really, we really want to be funding this stuff. Because um, the, the point of all of this is not to get down on anyone specifically and try to damage their character or their reputation. Uh, it's not because anyone has an axe to grind. At least I don't. Uh, it's simply because we know that there's a lot of funds, the Lord's money, that are going towards supposedly building the kingdom of God through the expansion of the gospel and discipling. And then we find out a large chunk of that is not actually going to that. And it's going to things that undermine that cause. And, and uh, we need to be aware. We need to be aware. We need to be careful with how we spend and steward the Lord's resources. It's as simple as that for me. So I hope this was helpful to you. There may be some questions, maybe some things I didn't address fully uh, that you can put in the, the comment section. I'm going to try to go back and look at that if I can. Uh, look forward to a bunch more videos this week. Shorter videos. This is the long one. This is the long one. There, there's some shorter ones coming your way. God bless. And keep praying, please, for uh, the, our country, for the president, uh, and the, the legal efforts here. It's not even about him. It's about election integrity. It's not about the president anymore. Uh, but pray for that. Uh, if you haven't called your state legislatures, if you live in a swing state, tell them, you know, you don't want this election certified uh, because there's too many questions going on right now. And um, I do appreciate it, guys. Uh, God bless you all and uh, have a good evening. Bye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.